Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we re-examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And today we are opening up Hollywood's crypt to review Jeremy Solnier's Green Room. I see the band And let's uh, just get into it. You did not like this movie that I dearly love. I tried really hard to like it. I tried really, really hard. In fact, in my notes, I wrote a list of all the things that I liked about this movie. (laughs) And they numbered eight. I liked eight things about this movie. Eight whole things. I'm sorry, I lied. I miscounted. I liked six. Six whole things. (laughs) And I disliked a whole lot more. (laughs) So, okay, first of all, if you skip the movie, uh, Green Room is the story of the Ain't Rights, who are a punk band based out of Washington, D.C., but find themselves traveling in the Pacific Northwest with one phone and no money, trying to do the sort of avant-garde punk tour thing. And their desperate situation leads them to play a gig at a skinhead bar. The gig goes relatively well considering where it is until the ending where the main character pat walks in on a murder and the film quickly descends into a chaotic standoff between the punk band and the nazi gang inhabiting the club as things devolve into chaos and the ain't rights try to escape from the tyrannical patrick stewart playing the club leader and i love this movie i love this movie like people people listening to the last episode i'm sure if if they like went one episode and the next you heard how excited i was about this movie i've seen green room five times and it came out three years ago i love this movie and i i I'm not surprised you didn't like it, but... Oh, what does that say about me? What does that mean? (laughs) I'm surprised as to why you didn't like it. Ah, I see. Say more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we, uh, we really haven't had any reason to discuss it yet, but you are... In your own words, uh, a bit skittish, a, a, a bit hesitant when it comes to super scary, super gory movies. And Green Room has some of the most, in my opinion, brutal realistic terrifying gore i've seen and i would not call it a horror movie but i would call it a thriller movie and so i i wondered if you were going to come out of this being like that was awful i hated it i was anxious the whole time and i hated the blood and i hated the guy getting his throat ripped out by a dog and why did you make me watch this nope one of the six things i liked was imogene poots unzippering Eric Edelston's stomach like he was a zip-up hoodie. That was one of my six things that I liked. (laughs) So, like, in in your own words, then, explain why you did not like this movie. Because I I respect your opinion, and I (laughs) champion your right to have your opinion, but I do want to try to defend this film. Um, I, I wanted this movie to be more than it was. So I think if I were to watch it again, I might end up liking it more than I did. I think because of the way you had introduced it, what I was expecting in my head and what I watched were two different things. So when I heard that it was a Nazi movie, I kept waiting for it to reach that pinnacle point of Nazi evil, which it never got to. There was so much of this movie that just doesn't pay off and for me and doesn't buy into itself. So the characters don't pay off for me. Patrick Stewart didn't pay off for me. Like I feel like it could have been any other actor in Patrick Stewart's role and it would have been just as fine, which is sad for me because I love Patrick Stewart. The violence to me felt gratuitous and unearned. And there were a lot of thematic things that I kept wanting to have pay off Mm -hmm. and then didn't. So like, for example, I really loved the use of green as a theme throughout the movie. 
And then it never went anywhere with that theme. It was just a visual theme throughout the movie that never was commented on or worked with in any way. So I guess the long and the short of it is I felt there was a lot in the movie that was built up and then never got tied up. Okay. And that's... That that is interesting to me. And that's my one take your drink. Because That's so funny, I actually literally just took a sip. <laughs> I I feel like a lot of the things I like about the movie factor into the reason you didn't like it. And mm-hmm. and like I said a moment ago, I've I've seen this movie five times now, but it's not like like I loved it after the first time. And and just the more I go into it, I, I do think the clearer everything becomes and the more I like it in that sense, but I like that it is so realistic. At least I feel like mm. it's 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 hyper realistic, you know. And in that way, I feel like my dislike of the movie and your like of the movie are kind of having a conversation because what I don't like about the movie is that it doesn't fit together like puzzle pieces or like a play or like a book would where everything wraps up at the end. Totally. Or things pay off. And you're and that's what you love about it is that things are realistic and they don't necessarily pay off because it's so real. Right. You know, the 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 thing that the movie asks you to suspend your dis your suspension of disbelief the most on is the idea that Anton Yelchin's character Pat could get a headshot at the end of the movie and mm-hmm. and you know get Patrick Stewart not even right between the eyes I, I actually just love stylistically he hits him in the head but it's like on the top of his head in a weird angle you usually don't see people take a bullet in <laughs> mm-hmm. but like that yeah. that is the the most implausible thing about the movie is that this punk bassist dude who nearly gets his arm cut off could then with his I guess it's still his dominant hand but you know in that state could land that shot other than that like the scariest thing in the movie is an attack dog think of how many movies Mm -hmm. where the attack dog is like the level one basic enemy that it, it never really becomes that much of a threat Yeah. Yeah, I think that was why I didn't, I wasn't scared by this movie. And yes, gore normally bothers me. But for me, the gore didn't add up to anything. So I wasn't scared by it. And I think I wasn't scared by it because I didn't care about any of the characters. Sure. And so if I don't, if I don't care about them, I'm not affected by them being unzippered like a hoodie or being eaten alive by a dog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I I gotta give you a point in your favor there. Mm-hmm. I think if you don't go into this movie in the in in a mindset where you see the ain't rights and you very quickly just empathize with their vibe and their their popper living out of a van lifestyle, mm-hmm. then they do become very hard to root for and be affected by the murder of most of them. Yeah. And for me, the the characters were so similar and we didn't have long enough to understand them separately. But you said the exact opposite. You said that you came into this movie and you knew exactly who everyone was and how their characterizations work together. And maybe that's a factor of watching it a couple times through. I can't really remember back to if the first time I I had that same sense of familiarity with everybody, but like the four members of the band... You've got Pat, who is Anton Yelchin, Sam, who is Aaliyah Shawkat, maybe from Arrested Development. Yeah. And then Tiger, the blue-haired lead singer, who I haven't seen anything else he's done. And Reese, the drummer, who is also in Peaky Blinders. These are are our four main characters at least in the beginning of the movie and i at least in this viewing at least by by my fifth time around (laughs) they do seem just just maybe maybe not instantly you know who they are but instantly you know what they're about you know the dude the, the first shot of the movie is them waking up in the van and it turns out tiger fell asleep at the wheel and they gently crashed into a cornfield so okay he's irresponsible (laughs) enough to fall asleep at the wheel Mm. 
Sam picks up the one phone and they make a point of talking about how it's the one phone they've got and, you know, says something that is like, okay, she's a little bit more of the responsible one. They talk about like, okay, we need to go siphon gas. There's a, there's a hockey rink a couple miles away. Oh, or ice skating rink or hockey rink. Well, does it matter? Oh, well, hockey players are tougher. Mm, There's, there's, which I'm sure you loved. (laughs) I I did. I appreciated that. (laughs) There's, there's a lot of, little stuff that taken as a whole i think really help endear these characters or at least endear them to me we gotta go and we die how long can we wait sure that is i will say i i cared a lot about alia shawkat's character but i think one that was because throughout a lot of my life i've been the girl of the group but then i also feel like I have the emotional invest- investment of Aaliyah Shawkat from maybe. Yeah. And from other roles she's been in. So I think if I had never seen this actress before, I would have, I, I don't know that I would have cared about her either. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> They, they they go and they siphon the gas and like I just want to talk about the opening the first 10 ish minutes of the movie it is so beautiful it is this oh, yeah this mellow beauty yeah and like you it, it, you you could be forgiven for thinking that you're about to watch this coming of age indie teen drama but just like the shot of Anton Yelchin and Aaliyah Shawkat on the bike and oh yeah where she's sitting backwards on like the front part that could absolutely Absolutely be an indie coming of age movie. Totally, totally. You know, they go and they steal gas, and and I kind of realized you never see a bad guy siphoning gas. Mm. Like that's true. It's a crime. The fact that it's a crime is a plot point in the movie. But like the only other siphoning gas scene I can think of is like Otto from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> It's something that, like, a lot of Byronic heroes will do in movies, where it's people that, like, kind of have a bad side to them and have that edge, but secretly you're rooting for them. Right. Or, you know, it's, it like, with the case of the Ain't Rights, it's just desperate circumstances. They wouldn't steal gas, sure. but they're on the wrong side of the country and need to get home. Yeah. They make a point, too, of saying later when they um, have to make an extra stop, that they will siphon along the way. So it's sort of something that they're good enough at to know how to do. Right. Kind of like, we can get by on this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Jeremy Saliennay, the director, he's only made three other movies as of now. He's He's got a fairly young career. One of which is this super low budget film I've never seen called Murder Party. <laughs> And then he has Blue Ruin, which is like his big hit that he only made Green Room because Blue Ruin was a financial success. And he was like, okay, if I don't make this movie now, it's never going to get made. (laughs) But despite having a young career, he is very technically accomplished. And there's so much he does Mm -hmm. in the writing and the visual storytelling that film nerd Andy just super loves and appreciates. Yeah. Whereas plebeian me, I guess. <laughs> Your with words. My... <laughs> oh, I don't think I don't think you can have a film podcast and be a plebeian. <laughs> You're very sweet. Sorry, bookish nerd me kept being like, but why aren't you tying up the Chekhov's gun? Why? <laughs> right. Which for me was was the siphoning. The siphoning was set up in a Chekhovian way, but at the end it kind of pays off in that Patrick Stewart, right before getting shot in the head by Pat, is siphoning gas into the car that the, the all rights? Ain't rights. The not rights. The ain't the rights. rights. Sorry, the ain't rights drove in on to make it look like their car just exploded. Is that right? Am I remembering it correctly? Well, let me, so, so let me uh, tell you what my interpretation of it is. And... Not to seem snobby, but after watching it five snobby. times, I think the the whole deal 
And and I wonder if this would play into you enjoying the movie a little bit more. The whole deal is Patrick Stewart is trying to fake a crime scene so that he can have these four murdered band members show up dead on his lawn and it is a plausible excuse as to what happened to them. Cause cause like just 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 to break it all down, they see a murder. They see a murder they're not supposed to see. That's when everything goes off the rails and they can't just disappear they can't just get you know they're locked in a meat locker and and be killed because they're a band they even if they're a shitty little punk band they have a public profile you can assume that all of the people at the bar were filming them on instagram or something so they they, their body they have to be killed they have to be killed because they just found out about your murder but they have to be killed go ahead oh i was gonna say which is interesting because they had just spent the previous scene saying they have no social media presence whatsoever because social media is over overwrought in their mind and they spent like 10 minutes ranting in the most douche manner (laughs) about how social media is below them and then so i had to laugh when patrick stewart said well we we can't let them go they're all over social media right no that's that's a great takeaway that's no that's a that's a great bit of irony and and I never really thought about that, but I'm glad you did. Um, so please continue. They have to be killed. They they have to be killed to cover up your murder, but they can't just be disappeared. They have to be killed in a plausible way. They have to be killed away from the club because turns out underneath the club is a heroin processing plant. And... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> They can't just be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, sorry, keep going, keep going. Well, So they can't just be killed in the club because you don't want the cops snooping around and accidentally discovering your drug ring. And they can't be shot up or knifed up because then you still have... You know, the same cop problem, but if you have a beware of dog sign and a bunch of vicious Rottweilers and it it at least looks like the band has been killed by these vicious dogs because they were trespassing on private property to steal gas and just got murdered by dogs, then all of a sudden you have a plausible open shut no heat on you and your Nazi drug gang explanation. You know, there's a line towards the end of the movie where Patrick Stewart is telling his, his gang of thugs, you can shoot them, but you're going to dig the slugs out. So be careful where you aim. Like that's, that's the setup. That's, that's the culmination of everything. He's trying to set up this fake crime scene that eliminates the band but doesn't throw a bunch of heat on him and his drug empire. But why does he have to also be a druggie? Why is it not <laughs> evil enough for him to just be a Nazi? Um, I would argue that him just being a Nazi doesn't factor into why you can't just kill him at the club. If he's just a, a, a shithead Nazi, then maybe he's okay just murdering people. But the thing... I love about Darcy, Patrick Stewart's character. He is so methodical. He is planning things from the moment he comes on screen. He has this entire, like he's, he's starting to figure it out. He's starting to, okay, do we have the van keys? No. Well, we need the van keys. Hey, we got the van keys. Oh, look, they steal gasoline. Okay. I can use this. Here's what we're going to do. And this goes back into the reality of it. He's a realistic Mm -hmm. evil person. You breathing? Loving blade. Because I kept thinking, this is going to sound weird, but there wasn't enough Naziness. Like, I wanted it to lean into the Naziness and just be evil and terrible. And I was like, the heroin stuff makes it way too complicated. It doesn't make sense to me. Now it makes sense to me. Because if they didn't have the heroin thing, it's a different movie. 
Right. Which, granted, I kept trying to make it a different movie when I was watching it. I was like, ooh, and this is when the really dark psychological stuff will come in and Big Justin will, like, try to be their friend and then he's going to turn on them later. And none of that happened. And I was like, why isn't it the movie I wanted it to be? And I was like, wait, that's unrealistic for me to expect. (laughs) Listen, one day I'm going to make it big and and we can make Purple Room. (laughs) And it'll be whatever you want it to be. Um, but no, like, so an an important clarification, this came out in 2016, which means it was filmed around, you know, late 2015. Trump was just starting on the campaign trail. Uh... He hadn't done nearly as much of the offensive crap that he has done. He wasn't president yet. And I 100% believe that the at least visible rise of American Nazism is like an afterwave of the Trump presidency. So at the time Sonier was making this, it wasn't even so much of a statement of the dark, evil underbelly of... American fascism as much as it was what kind of gang would be up in the Pacific Northwest? Oh, probably a Nazi gang. Yeah, yeah, okay. Nazi gang. Fuck Nazis. I want to watch Nazis get shot. <laughs> yeah. No, that that makes way more sense. I didn't even think about it in the context. Bad, Stephanie. You should always think of something in the context of the time in which it's made. Ugh. That's like a whole part of our podcast. <laughs> That's like a whole part of the all right um i'll just hang up my headphones and go home now no i'm not done (laughs) (laughs) no i'm not done loving on this ridiculous movie but yeah i mean that's 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 the thing that i i think is so interesting and so enjoyable to me about this movie we've we've talked extensively i feel like between this and and just you and me personally i'm a huge fan of buy-in the crazier more nonsensical the world as long as it follows its own rules that's cool with me and green room and stuff like it is like a vacation from buying in because yeah it's it's all incredibly plausible maybe it's complicated in this case it's certainly complicated but it's plausible and there's zero buy-in and i don't know i just i like that i compare that your point about wanting the nazis to be more evil there's a Mm -hmm. kevin smith movie called red state unaffiliated to this movie as far as i know um but it's basically green room red state you know it's basically a um a mock-up of the westboro baptist church and kevin smith Mm -hmm. fantasizing is a little more critical of a word than i want to use but i think it's appropriate fantasizing about how evil the westboro baptist church is in that movie somebody gets burned alive on a cross for being gay and it winds up devolving into this like waco gunfight the maniacal evil ass preacher going down in a awful blaze of glory sort of upsetting finale and and this isn't that you know the reason Mm -hmm. the reason darcy can be a nazi and can have boot parties which Mm -hmm. you know for anyone unfamiliar there's a moment where they talk about oh that's the baseball bat from the boot party a boot party is specifically like when a gang goes out and lynches somebody and and murders them to death so he he does absolutely do this evil shit but it's like once every couple of years you keep it quiet you keep a low profile how does a evil drug peddling nazi thrive and survive and be a business owner by being Mm. so low-key and by being so methodical yeah damn i didn't think about half of this Clearly, I did not interrogate the movie enough. I'm very sorry. Well, I mean, like, you also didn't watch a movie where a guy gets a box cutter ran up his stomach at least five times. So maybe I've got some other things I need to examine. (laughs) I did like Patrick Stewart's little hat. Yeah, that's a great little hat. (laughs) It's so cute. Andy, what else did you love about this? I love that this movie is order versus chaos. 
Mm. Yeah, I feel like it's the, that's a half decent segue from what I was just talking about. On the one hand, you have a punk band and, you know, punks are anarchists. Punks are crazy. Punks are chaotic. But more than that, it's a punk band in a situation where they are forced to improvise. So on the one mm-hmm. hand, you have pure chaos. On the other hand, you have this alt right wing or technically ultra left completely methodical, completely organized backup plans upon backup plans upon contingencies nazi force opposing each other and you know for the most of the movie patrick stewart has got him beat he's just got to wait him out he's just got to get him out of the room but at the end chaos wins and you know three of the four members of the ain't rights give their lives but at the end of the day the punks win and chaos prevails because real life is inherently chaotic and it doesn't have an order and it doesn't have a a through line as much as we often wish it does it's to 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 quote the joker it's fair yeah and that as a theme is echoed so beautifully by the gorgeous cinematography of the first 10 minutes and the gorgeous cinematography of the end as we pan out of the forest Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the chaotic nasty weird middle where granted the cinematography is beautiful throughout the film but it's grungy for the middle part yeah it's it uh, i i truly love the juxtaposition between you know the film is bookended by beauty and the score is is wonderful but the score goes away after the first 10 minutes and it's all just tension and death metal and screaming and then at the end after darcy dies after the nazis have utterly been defeated the score comes back the beauty returns life goes on Hmm. interesting yeah something else i love we haven't talked about her yet the fifth member the the fifth girl in the room she's not a member of the ain't rights but amber imogen poots's character who is the best friend of the murder victim she Mm -hmm. kicks so much ass (laughs) she is so cool and she's not like over the top action packed movie babe she's just smart yeah she's not genius she's not mensa she's just really intelligent with what she uses when she uses it exactly she's she's cunning and she's merciless and that's all she needs like she's the deadliest character in the whole movie i think if you Mm -hmm. if you do a body count i uh i didn't tally the numbers or anything i'm not that sick but (laughs) i do think she uh she kills like three or four people and i don't think anybody yeah gets a higher uh, body count than that no and i love that she she doesn't put up with the band's crap she's kind of her own person she follows along with pat's plan at the end but that's she also kind of helps come up with it right so she's not she's not just an add-on she's very much kind of an agent in her own safety absolutely and you know she's she's just thrown in there again by happenstance but but she's she's the best character in the movie to me mm-hmm. my favorite part is that she says her desert island band which we haven't really gotten into yet but the the band on the podcast they're on earlier in the film is asked what their desert island band is and they keep bringing this up again and again what's your desert island band and she says my desert island band is madonna and slayer which <laughs> is a perfect answer that's almost my quote that's such an amazing line <laughs> Madonna and Slayer. It's kind of also the pacing of the way she says it. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I really liked her yeah, acting. Yeah, I, I, I thought you would. <laughs> Careful now. Okay, now I like seven things. I'm working my way up. I like it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the Desert Island band, like, so, so this is another thing that initially you did not like, right? Oh, I didn't like... I didn't like the concept of it and I didn't like the way that it ended the movie. So at the end of the movie, Pat and Amber, Imogene Poots's character, make it out alive. They're sitting by the side of the road waiting for the cops to come. And Pat says, I know my desert island band. And 
Imogene Poots' character replies, tell it to someone who gives a shit. <laughs> Which, so from the from the payoff part of me, I'm like, but I want to know. But also it just felt like, and now we don't get to know, and that moment is taken from us. Mm. But now I'm reflecting on it. And maybe it's, I don't know, maybe the point is we don't have to know and no one cares. Maybe. Um, I don't know if I have an answer for you. Um, a fun a fun fact, though, a lot of people think it's Creedence Clearwater Revival because that's what? the band that starts playing over the end credits. So, like, oh. I know my Desert Island band. Tell somebody who gives a shit. And then it's, um, I can't remember which song off the top of my head. It's not Bad Moon Rising, but Credence immediately starts playing. A lot of people think that's the answer. Huh. And Jeremy Saline has gone on record as saying, I'm not going to confirm or deny that. What I will tell you is me and Anton had our own private answer, which assumedly mm. we're never going to know. And, you know, we didn't we didn't bring it up, but this was the last film role Anton Yelchin had before he was tragically and unfortunately killed. Wait, what? Wait, what? You don't you don't know this? Wait, what? No. Anton Yelchin is is dead and has been for a couple years now. Uh, how did he die? He was it's, killed. It's actually insane and like incredibly depressing. He was working on a car like at his house, and I guess it was on a hill or something. You know, his 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 mansion in the Hollywood Hills or something. He was working on a car. And he was underneath it and the the brake unlatched itself or, or something like that. And somehow the car started rolling and pinned him like underneath the car, but also up against a wall and he suffocated and died. Oh my God. Yeah. I, uh, I'm sorry. I thought you knew I would have no. braced you for well, that. Also, no, that's okay. I'm, I am incredibly sad for his family and his friends, but I I hadn't seen him in a whole lot besides this. So it makes it probably makes a lot of sense that I didn't know, but he was also born the same year that I was, so that's oh, wow. incredibly tragic. Yeah. yeah. Crap. Yeah. I didn't know about yeah. that. Segway. Oh, because he was in Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> so he was in Star Trek, so since I I haven't seen the Star Trek movies, that would explain why I didn't know who yeah, he was. I mean, he was he was in Star Trek. He um he's he was in a couple other things. Uh I mean he was he was a very talented actor and looked like he was gonna have a long career ahead of him, but unfortunately this was the ending of it. But in any case, mm-hmm. um I love the Desert Island band thing and mm-hmm. What I'm about to say is just something that, like, I've been... My my film studies paper is uh, currently out for submission, and it has entirely to do with the Desert (laughs) Island Band. None of this is backed up by anything other than just my own psychosis. I, I truly think that the whole Desert Island Band thing and the specifically the way people answer the question has a direct correlation to surviving in the film. And this is very metatextual and it's kind of insane the more I think about it, but like specifically everybody contributes one major item to the the mission as it were of getting out of the room just like everybody has one answer to the question even if the ain't rights change their answer halfway through the movie but you know tiger Mm. gets the duct tape which he uses to mend pat's destroyed arm after a nazi nearly machetes it off sam has the fire extinguisher which she uses to save their lives on two separate occasions to spray in the face of nazis and distract them so that they don't murder people immediately reese has the jujitsu to take down big justin and stop the giant man from destroying everybody in the beginning of the film. <laughs> Pat doesn't have an answer. Uh-huh. Pat Pat never has an answer. He's he's asked in the beginning for the podcast and he he blanks and then later in the green room when they're having like their their brace ourselves, hey, let's 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 like be let's do this. Here, here's my real Desert Island band. He still doesn't have an answer. And Pat is directly responsible for the situation because he's the one who goes in to get the phone it's sam's phone but 
Oh, yeah, you're right. She has the line of like, oh, I forgot my phone. And he's like, oh, well, I'll I'll get it. You know, he goes and gets the phone. And instead of doing what I would do, which is like scurry in, grab the phone, apologize, scurry out without making eye contact at anybody or anything, which would have (laughs) saved their lives. um, He he looks around and finds the dead girl and, you know, everything else unfolds as it does. So mm. Pat Pat causes their situation, and and metatextually, I think that that correlates to the fact that he doesn't have an answer. But Pat eventually mm. presents his 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 thing, his contribution to the survival, which is the paintball story about how thinking tactically against other people who think tactically doesn't work so sometimes you just have to say screw it and go nuts and and treat it all as a game and it's through that that they eventually him and amber win and survive and he earns having an answer at the end of the movie by surviving and not only by surviving because that's just chaos pure luck but by presenting the means through which to survive he earns the answer. And then to wrap it all up, you know, we talked about how Amber is easily the most effective of our five protagonists. She has two answers, Madonna and Slayer. And she also <laughs> has two things. She gets the box cutter, which she uses to kill at least three people. <laughs> yep. And she also just has that intelligence. So... Like I said, I'm I'm submitting it to Columbia for for review. I'll, I'll let you know what what notes I get back. But that is my insane film theory paper thesis <laughs> on Green Room. If I can write a paper about Lacanian theory and Dorian Gray and get an A on it, sure, sweet, sure, you can you can you can have this be a Yay, theory. <laughs> uh. I I don't I don't see it, but. I'm not going to say it's not it's right. Not, it's not perfect, but it came to me at like the second time I was watching this, like, because it, it, it does come up again and again and again. And I feel like it, there has to be something about it. And and maybe I'm just I'm I'm Charlie in the postage room with my insane wall. <laughs> but that's that's what I've got. But yeah, I can't I can't say no, but I can ask you, what's your desert island ban? Ah. <sighs> Thank you, by the way, because I was going to forget. <laughs> <laughs> My Desert Island band is Coheed and Cambria. Probably unsurprising. Yeah, that makes yeah sense. right? Yeah, because makes I, sense. I get so many genres out of one band that way. Sure. Yeah. What about, what about oh, you? What's point. your Desert Island band? Oof. Yeah, Sam Cooke. Awesome. All right. Yeah, yeah, probably Sam Cooke. Uh, I I, you almost. You almost got me to change mine with the fact that you have different genres all in one band. But Sam Cooke makes me smile. Like, I could be having the worst day, and Cupid Draw Back Your Bow could come on, and I'd be like, well, uh, uh, what was I sad about? <laughs> I am so happy now. I think that's all that matters. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because I'm a classy gal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I love this movie. I I love this movie. I think I think it does so much smart. I think it 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 holds up a mirror and on one side there's punks and on one side there's Nazis. They're diametrically opposed. They're against each other in the movie, but both factions like like there's the line Tiger has about how Tag, the Mohawk dude, like he's true. He's a real punk. And then later mm-hmm. on, Gabe, one of the underling Nazis, he says he needs a true believer. Like, like they're diametrically opposed. It's anarchy versus order, but they both hold this one thing in such high regard. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. That's a really good point. I like it more now that I've heard you defend it. Then I've set out what I ac- wanted to accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any stray observations before we go into our last couple segments? Uh, I just I just have a couple. And, and <laughs> a couple, he says. Two pages of notes. Three pages of notes is fine. I, I've been writing more and more notes, and yeah. Uh, but no, just, just real quickly. We both appreciated the cojones of going into a skinhead bar and playing Nazi punks fuck off, which is a real song. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
so good. The a lot of the stuff was based off of true stories. The the Mexican diner, which is the saddest venue scene I've ever seen in any movie, um, that's based off a real thing. So is the concept of pulling somebody across the floor by a knife stuck in their head. So that's what? upsetting. Macon Blair is gabe he's the one who asked for a true believer he is mm-hmm. also the star of saliene's movie blue ruin um mm-hmm. he is directing the toxic avenger remake no <laughs> and that terrifies me because <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> see that movie again no i refuse you can refuse i will uh i i will make it a patreon call to see that movie and and give my my live review of it well if you do it i have if if you do it i have to i wasn't gonna force you or anyone else to ever see a a toxic venture remake i'll do it i'll do it because i love you. you and i love our listeners i'll do it well, there you go. So, so Tetsu Kusakabe shirts and a uh, a review of Toxic Avenger whenever it comes out. <laughs> Let's make our review of Toxic Avenger like our top tier. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so really... that no one will ever buy it. Right. Or conversely, like we they really earn forcing us to see the movie. <laughs> Watch our one rich friend will be like, oh, I will absolutely make this happen. Click. I'm down with it. <laughs> <laughs> what a movie. <laughs> I appreciate you. Like I said, I, I respect your opinion. I, re- I respect anybody's opinion. No one, no one has to like the same thing. No one has to like the things I like. You brought up some really interesting points. Um, like I said, with with what you didn't like about it, and it, it gave me stuff to think on, and I appreciate that. Ooh, like what? Did any of my points land with you and make you think, oh, that could have been orchestrated better? Well, well, one thing that I thought was really interesting is you were saying you wanted it, you wanted there to be a twist that Amber was Darcy's daughter. Oh yeah, I didn't talk about that, but I definitely put it in our notes because there was one moment where they said, no, no, don't shoot her, and the emphasis was on her. And I was like, wait, what's special about her? I mean, I know she's like one of the Nazi punks, but I I wanted it to be more than she's just one of the Nazi punks. I kept thinking, oh, is she like a special Nazi punk? Is she like in the gang in some way? Sure, sure. I I I don't know how that twist would have landed on me, but I suspect I would have appreciated it. It it w- certainly would have come out of left field, and there would have been this really cool duality of the two deadliest characters in the film are related. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that landed with you. Sweet. <laughs> Absolutely. What was your favorite quote? Did you have one? I did. I absolutely did. Like I said, I I almost have a couple. Um, (laughs) You know, Madonna and Slayer is up there. But my favorite quote, because I think it's the thesis statement of the movie, is it's a conspiracy? No, just a clusterfuck. Mm. Like, like, because that's the that's the point. (laughs) Like... Yeah. There isn't a greater understanding. It's just there were three things happening here at once. They didn't necessarily lead into each other, but they all happened at the same time. And because of that, here's the situation we're in. And it's it's fucked. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What about you? In this movie you did not care for, did you find a quote you liked? (laughs) I I did. Uh, My favorite quote was, right before the Ain't Rights play Nazi punks fuck off, Elias Shawkat's character turns to the lead singer and says, you back out now, I'll tell them you're Jewish. (laughs) Which is my favorite thing. It's a pretty great line. Because like especially it's his idea like like that's the funniest yeah. part for me. It's, it was his idea, and then he's like, "I don't know, guys, I don't know." And she said, "You back out now. I'll tell them you're Jewish," which is just <laughs> fantastic. So you had your favorite quote. Green Room did not receive any Oscars, unlike Return to Oz. So mm-hmm. we have to give it to him. And I I know it's hard for you, but I would love to know what your what Oscar you would give this movie.
I would like to award Green Room the Oscar for most douchey social media rant. <laughs> that rant that they go on on their friends podcast was absolutely terrible. And so like, we don't do social media because it's below us. And we're in the moment because we're real cool. Music like, is oh, live. shut up. Ugh. Yeah. I, I got to agree with you. That is complete, like, just the biggest jerk off motion, pretentious <laughs> and totally ineffective for a band. Like, okay, yeah, you're a punk band. You're into the punk band scene, but there's a reason you have one phone and no money. And yeah. it's, it's, and it's stuff because like you're that. not on social media. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Andy? What To what would you award an Oscar? I would give Green Room the Oscar of best use of a couch for murder. <laughs> It's it's one of my favorite shots in the movie. They actually give it away in the preview, which is probably one of my least favorite things just about everything. I, I, I hate previews that give away the, the best stuff, but the oh, scene in, the scene in the end where Amber was hiding in the couch cushions and waiting for the Nazi to be completely distracted and looking down the hole, and you just see her slide out from inside of the couch. It's it, oh, it's it's a great shot. I love it. She's a sneaky snake. She's so sneaky. She's so deadly without ever, like you said, without ever crossing a line into real implausibility. Yeah. I, I totally love it. I, I loved that part. There are more things that I'm realizing that I actually enjoyed the more we talk. So Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Feel great about yourself. Andy, is this movie cult though? So I think the only thing going against this movie for being cult is the fact that it's so new. Like I said, this came out in 2016. If it's not the most recent movie on our list, it's certainly up there. But I really think it's going to grow to be cult. And in the next 10, 15 years, like, it'll be a no-brainer. This movie made no money. We haven't talked about it, but this was a release by Studio A24, who I am... A very much a, a fan and proponent of and I think that they are one of the only studios coming out with original work but part of the thing about coming out with original work is it always isn't profitable this was a five million dollar movie and it grossed just over three oops so any anything fun fun nerdy film fact for you at home anything less than three times what you spent is considered a failure. So to not even make your budget back is a, a bomb. And this this movie doesn't deserve to bomb. Maybe people need to see it five more times. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should all uh, pick it and strike until this movie goes back in theaters and then we all see it five times and then it'll make money. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I I would consider this film totally cult and I this isn't going to be the last time I see it for sure. Oh my gosh. When do you stop? When you reach 10? When you reach 15? When you reach 20? <laughs> Who can say? <laughs> I mean, I keep showing more and more friends this movie and... I don't think any of them have, like, loved it, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> so and, until I show it to somebody and they just turn to me and go, I get it. That was awesome. I loved when that Nazi <laughs> got shot in the head and I'll go, me too! <laughs> That's when I'll stop. I specifically would love to hear our friend Chris's response to this movie. So maybe Ooh, show it to Chris. Hell yeah. All right. Because he seems like the kind of... A lot of his taste in movies reminds me of this. All right. Well, Chris, I know you're listening. And if you haven't watched it yet, uh, I guess I'm coming up to Atlanta, buddy. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, Speaking of things that we really like. Yeah. Much like we really like our friend Chris, would you like to play our favorite game? I really like playing our favorite game, Kevin Bacon, Six Degrees. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That was an awkward segue. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, six degrees. Cue, cue the music. So my six degrees of Kevin Bacon are that Aaliyah Shawcat was in Duck Butter with Jenny O'Hara, who was in Mystic River with Kevin Bacon. 
Mystic River, of course. <laughs> um, have you seen Duck Butter, by the way? Mm, I can neither confirm nor deny that I cheated and did not see my so, Six Degrees so, movies. Well, so for, for those who have not seen Duck Butter, um, all I will say, it is it, it is a very sapphic movie in a in a very good way. Okay, I've, I've never heard of it. I could only assume, based on the title, I thought it was about cooking. But now that I'm reading about it, nope, 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 it's definitely not that. No, it's it's about Aaliyah Shawkat getting in a, uh, a, a all-female relationship, despite the fact that she has a boyfriend. But, like, the relationship is really great, and... I don't want to spoil too much, but it's 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 a trip. <laughs> I did not go with Aaliyah Shawkat. Um, you know, the, the I don't know if I would have seen this movie without Patrick Stewart in it the first time. I I I love this movie and like I don't keep going to it because of him, but I felt it was only right to do my six degrees through Peace Do. I'm sorry, what? I, I feel like we're close enough that I can call him Peace Do. <laughs> <laughs> There will come a day when we're like super uberty famous and all, when we'll like be in line to like meet Patrick Stewart and we'll be like, hi, we're Andy and Stephanie from Cult Fiction. We're so excited to meet you, Mr. Stewart. And he'll be like, oh yeah, Stephanie, it's so nice to meet you. And then he turns to you and goes, you called me Peace Stew one time. I'm not acknowledging you. And then he and I have a lovely conversation. Uh... So you were talking about Sir Patrick Stewart. Right. And and to your point, it would be just enough to stand in that man's presence. I love him so dearly. <laughs> Sir Patrick Stewart was in X-Men Days of Future Past with Ellen Page. Oh, of course. Okay. And Ellen Page was in Super with Kevin Bacon. Ah. ah. Clever. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good job, good job. <laughs> Super, I don't know if it's on our list or not, but it deserves to be. It is a messed up movie. But speaking of our list, let's uh-huh. figure out what the next one is. And maybe you'll like it more than Green Room. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we have our 315 movies. And the Hollywood Crypt wants us to watch... Do 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 do. Ah. Number two hundred and five, which is Blood for Dracula. Blood for Dracula. <laughs> so here's all I know about Blood for Dracula. It's a seventies horror movie. It was financed by Andy Warhol. What? And you wrote the Google synopsis alone is perfect. <laughs> okay, which let me read it to you. Deathly ill Count Dracula and his slimy underling Anton travel to Italy in search of a virgin's blood. They're welcomed at the crumbling estate of indebted Marchese di Fiore, who is desperate to marry off his daughters to rich suitors. But there, instead of pure women, the Count encounters incestuous lesbians with vile blood and Marxist manservant Mario, who's suspicious of the aristocratic Dracula. Okay, you uh, you you had my attention, and now you have more of it. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting, bizarre watch. I think I also watched the trailer, and it was just ridiculously over the top. I mean, as soon as I saw that Warhol produced this movie, I was like, okay, I uh, I'm ready for literally anything. Well, apparently, including incestuous lesbians. And a Marxist manservant named Mario. Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time when we experience Dracula, incestuous lesbians, and a Marxist manservant named Mario with 1973's Blood for Dracula. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Boel. <laughs> Marxist Manser Mario, Marxist Manser Mario, Marxist Manser Mario, Marxist Manser Mario, Marxist Manser Mario. Eh. Eh. Damn. 
Welcome to me punching my husband in the dick directly. <laughs>